Book Four, Chapter Four, Part One, of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. All on a May Morning, Part One. It was quieter than ever at Sarn without Mother's quiet ways. I missed her a deal more than if I'd depended on her, for it's the folk that depend on us for this and for the other that we most do miss. So the mother is more let and hindered, lacking the little creatures clinging to her skirt, than she is when they be there, for she has no heart for her work. So in the lengthening April days I'd often sit and cry, calling to mind her poor little hands uplifted, and her way of giving me a right good welcome when I came in tired of an evening. There was only Gideon and me, and Tivy now and again. The work went on the same as ever, though there was a sadness about it all. Gideon never went into the stackyard, but he cursed Beguildy, who was still in prison, with no sentence fixed. We'd heard naught of Jancis nor her mother for a good while, nor had there been another letter from Kester. The market began again. I mean, we began to go again, having plenty to fill the stall. One of us would go, and the other would mind the farm. And I heard that every time Gideon went, Miss Dorabella would come and buy summat. Indeed, it was already being said that she was sweet on Gideon, and I could only hope it wouldn't a come to the squire's ears. I didn't wonder at her being partial to Gideon, for indeed he was a fine, strong man, with a deal of character and power, and very good to look at. And there were few young gentlemen about Lullingford at that time, what with some of them going to bide in London, and some never coming back from the wars. Gideon never said anything to me, but I could see he was flattered at her liking, and I thought once, when she came to our door for a drink of milk, that his hand shook a bit when he gave her the cup. But if he was thinking of her, I'm sure it was only the lust of the eye and youth, and the wish to get on, and not love such as he felt for Jancis. I didn't believe he'd ever love anybody again since that early love had been poisoned, for indeed the bane seemed to have got into it, as it had into everything. But there was no doubt he was very taken up with her, and when it wasn't a Miss Dorabella, it was Tivy. He didn't care a farden for Tivy, but he was ready to take all she'd give as many another young man would, especially after such an upsetting of his life and the losing of his dear acquaintance. He seemed to want to be out along with Tivy when he wasn't working, as if he was restless, and he couldn't bear to speak of mother. This seemed curious to me, for he never appeared to care much about her in life. I mind when May Day came, and we were starting for the market, for the things must be sold, morning or not. I said I called to mind just where Mother stood to send us last time, and Gideon gave a bit of a start, and looked nervous-like at the place I pointed to, 
almost as if he thought she'd come again. And sometimes I noticed that he'd look across at her chair, anxious and brooding. This troubled me, for it was so different from his usual ways. In all else he was the same, and the farm was the same, and the mere, and the spring. May came in warm and splendid, and the buds and blades, the opening petals and the blown petals, the waft of sweet air, and the storms of warm rain drove on over the country, as in every other year. The blackbirds kept up their charm the day long, and the cuckoos were at it from four or five in the morning. Out went the coots and their young across the mere. The dippers made their well-roofed house. The wagtails played beside the water, and the heron stood watching his long shadow in the glassy lake, as if he wondered how soon it would be as long as the steeple. The lily leaves lay green and bright like empty boats, for the time of lilies was not yet. The young leaves on the forest trees lengthened and broadened. The grass grew long and began to ripple. The corn sprang quick and bright. The lent lilies in the meadow wilted, and the bluebells came, like smoke bellying up the slopes of the woods. All was made anew, and the brighter the colours were, the more I thought of Kester and his weaving and the more unkind I felt it to be on my part, to be glad of the spring, with poor mother in her new-made grave. There came a day, in the very mid of all this fine May weather, when the thorn-trees along by the mere were so thick-set with blossom that they laid a solid wall of white in the water at their feet. Though it was noon, the charm of birdsong was nearly as loud as it was at dawn, for in May they never seemed to weary. We were in the kitchen having our dinner afore going out to finish earthing up the taters. Tivy was helping, as she often did now, though she got but little thanks from Gideon, who would brood all the while, and frown, and start up sometimes as if he heard a voice. The kitchen was pleasant after the heat outside, for it was an early year, the sun lay in quiet patches along the quarries, and the lilac outside just past its prime, and the sweeter for it, sent a strong freshness through the open window. Something went past the window, and there was a little soft tap on the door. It reminded me of the time when Jancis ran away and came to our door in the snow. I went to open, and there she stood, Jancis white as a ghost, leaning against the doorpost, with the shawl wrapped about her, and in the shawl, as I could just see, a baby, no bigger than a doll. "'Why, Chances,' I says, "'however in the name of goodness did you come?' But she only looked past me, as wild and white as any mermaid in the old tales, peering after her mortal lover. She gave me neither word nor look, she gave Tivy no glance even. We won her there for Jancis in that hour. She just slipped in, like a wreath of mist from off the winter mountain, or a drift of blossom from off the summer trees, or a white woman from under the mere. She'd got on the gown she was used to wear for Randy's, torn and crumpled, but still white, 
and though it did not set her off as well as the blue one, it did, with the white shawl, make her look like a floating spirit out of the air, as she went across the kitchen. There she was, all of a heap at Gideon's feet, and she had set the baby on the floor in front of him, as he sat in the big armchair at the table. And the table being set out with food, and he at its head, and Jancis there upon the floor, it did make me think of that story in the Bible, when Jesus was at a feast, and some poor person came and asked summat, and was chid, and did up and say, that not even the dogs need lack their crumbs. It was as if all the good of life was outspread there on our oaken table, till it creaked under the weight. There were the fruits of love, there was the homely bread of daily kindness, and the cup to quench all thirst, and salt to make life tasty, and all the lesser pleasures that do make life a good, sweet thing in the living. And Gideon had the helping of them. San of San Mir was the maester of that feast, and he might say, if he would, Here, let me heap thy plate and fill up thy mug or he might begrudge it all. Jancis was kneeling in the patch of bright sunshine, and she seemed as the snowflake when the day turns to a thaw. In the ticking of one moment she might be melted clean away. I called to mind that day in the dairy, when she came in, behopes that Gideon might ask her to wed there and then. I called to mind the night I wished her well when beguiled he was gone to look for the seventh child, and the time I saw her coming towards me between her white oxen like a lady of old time that has been a long while dead. I remembered how she'd sung green gravel that Christmas when she ran away, and how the light from the window was green upon her face, and how she was used to say, Oh, I wanted to play green gravel. All the things she'd ever said or done seemed to be lapped around her, as she knelt there with her golden hair all loose about her shoulders. That she was so pale, all white and gold, and that Gideon was so dark, and darkly clad, made it seem yet more as if she came from some other world, and the baby also, for it was white too, and its tiny head, where the wrapper fell aside, was covered with a light yellow down. There was no look of Gideon in it at all. It wanna like a real baby, but like a changeling that came into being in the mid of a summer night on the petal of a lily flower. Oh, it was a strange baby as ever I saw. I leaned against the doorpost with tears rolling down my face, and so that I shouldn't sob out loud, I promised myself to give Jancis the best meal she ever had, so soon as this should be over, and she should have a new laid egg from the slaty game hen, whose eggs were worth a mint of money for setting, she being a prize bird. Though why it should please me so to think of her eating it, when a common egg would have been quite as nice and bigger, I dunna know and I promised myself that the baby should have the best wash ever, for indeed it looked as if it had rolled in the ashes. And, oh dear me, how I'd stuff it with milk, 
and how I dress up the old rush cot and make a little counterpane, and then put the well-stuffed baby to lie in the sun and sleep, and in time it would lose that wished, awful look, so ancient as if it knew all there was to know and didna like it. I wanted to see it with a great big tossy ball of golden cowslips, and all the while Tivy sat by Gideon, with her mouth fallen open with surprise, and looking almost as frightened as if she'd seen a ghost. Gideon was like a stone man. There was no feeling in his face at all, neither pity nor anger. All that was over past, it seemed. It was like an old tale that he'd forgotten, and Jancis was chief lady in that tale, but why she was, and who she was, and what she did was all out of mind, because the tale was lost to his remembrance. Once, at Christmas maybe, if she'd come, he'd have knocked her down very likely in his anger, but then he might have kissed her after. Now he neither struck nor kissed. All he'd felt for her had died in the fire that night of September, and the sin of the father was visited upon the poor girl, for when Gideon's eye fell on her, he saw his burning ricks, and in her blue glance there were the red reflections of fire, as you will see on some clear morning the last wild smoulderings of the thunderstorm. That was all she meant to him now, and though his hatred of Beguildy was as savage as ever, he had no feelings at all for her. Neither hatred nor desire, nor even lust, much less any love. Miss Dorabella had seized upon his mind, and Tivy had satisfied his body. There was no place for Jancis. There he sat in our old kitchen, so quiet, yet so full of whispers, so full of the remembrance of all the sounds that had been there, from Tim, with the lightning in his blood, to Father, passing out from life in a dark snoring after a fit of anger. I thought of Mother spinning here day after day, worrying like a little lich-fowl. I thought of all the other San women, and of myself striving and slaving for the bane and it seemed that the bane was like some plant, such as the catchfly, that does wild living creatures into its banqueting hall, spreading a great feast, and see, when they are in, she catches them and grips them, and binds them and trammels their feet, so that they cannot go. There was a heavy sweetness from the day-lilies in the border that made me think of death-chambers. I wish Chances would say summat, and get it over, whether for good or ill, so that I might be the sooner set about the babe. But she didna, and time went on and on. Outside there was San Mir standing up before me, like a mirror framed in some precious green gem-work. There was no sound but the saddish charm of the birds near and far, and the wandering hum of a bee that came into our kitchen, and, misliking it, blundered out again. Then Jancis lifted up her head and looked at Gideon. San, she said, and again, San. 
As she said it, I got the feeling that there were many listeners, leaning down out of the air, crowded together as close as the petals of a white peony, waiting to hear what should come of this meeting. She clasped her hands and set her blue eyes upon Gideon, seeming to leave the baby aside for a while, as if he should speak up for himself later. Do you mind, San, she said, how we used to play conquer with the big pink and white snail housing down by the water, and you nearly always won and I lost? Do you mind how I wanted to play green gravel? Her faint voice stopped a while, and a strange thing happened, for as I watched her it seemed to me as if many voices, a long way off, took up the words of that old song and sang it right through, in parts, as is the manner of singers in our countryside. For if anybody sings at all, he or she can sing parts, the people being all very fond of music and having it grained into their souls. So I heard it with the grace notes of the trebles and the rolling of the bass voices and the altos and the tenors taking up the words and playing with them and all as it were making much of the song and speaking for Jancis through it. Very low and far it seemed yet rich with many voices. Green gravel, green gravel, the grass is so green, the fairest young lady that ever was seen. I'll wash you in milk, and I'll clothe you in silk, and write down your name with a gold pen and ink. What it was I heard I never knew. Parson said it was my busy imagination playing about the past. I cannot say. Only, in my imagination, or in reality, I did hear it, in very truth, a part song, well sung and tuneful, with every note clear, and each part intertwining as it should, but all a very long way off. Do you call to mind the even when you saw me under the rosy light, San, when you were coming back from Lullingford, Oot the Sheep? And the day we found the Canbotlin's nest in the spinney, and fourteen young uns in it, and you kissed me once for every can bottling. Still Gideon made no sound nor stirred. And when I ran away, and Prue took me in, you did say to me, standing in the mid of this very kitchen, Give us a kiss, wench. And in the dairy once you said I looked as if I was made of may and milk. And at Callard's that evening I held the babby, while Mr. Callard made them all say, bull-baiting's bad. Do you mind how Grandfather Callard said all of a sudden, I see two babbies in her arms, ours, and hers as is to come. And the harvest dance, when they whistled so well, and we danced. A quiver went across Gideon's face at the mention of that harvest, and I wondered at Jance's speaking of it till I saw that she'd forgotten the cause of Gideon's quarrel with her. All she knew now was that he didn't love her, and the reason was neither here nor there. And when Feather went to look for the seventh child, and you came, and we were so sweet together, ah, even that morning after Feather came back, we were so, and you said, Come five days, my little dear. 
and I said, God send you happy. And since that, San, I hanna set eyes on you till this hour. Still Gideon made no sign, so she laid her hand on his arm. Do you mind it, San, she says. Ah, he says, indifferent, I mind it, but it was long ago, time out of mind. But the babe wasna, here be the babe, San, yours and mine. She held the child up as if she'd put it on his knees, but he waved it away. A boy, says Jancis, not a girl to cumber you with women, a boy to mind pigs for ye ever so soon, and in a few years he'll be driving plough. Ah, I reckon he'll be a good lad to you, and work well, and gather in twice as much as his grandad scattered abroad. The poor babe stirred, as if it felt the heavy burden. Gideon looked at it, as if when it touched his life's aim, it could be seen, though invisible at other times. Then he gave a short, cruel laugh. That, he says, you offer me that to help me? Thank ye. Why, if it lives, which I doubt, it'll never be no good but to coddle about in the house and feed on soft food. And as if it knew that it hadn't passed the test, the poor mite set up a wail. At this, Gideon pushed the table aside and got up. He went to the back kitchen door, that being the nearest way to the kitchen garden. At the door he stopped a minute. Best go back where you came from, he said. You've been a-wanted here, neither the one nor the other. With that he shut the door and went out. End of Book 4, Chapter 4, Part 1